Am I on? There, they got me now. Book of Habakkuk. I'll give you a couple minutes to find that if you, you need some help. Uh, when, uh, when Bill was coming down from uh, his rendition uh, a while ago, he said that, uh, now, you may have to cut your sermon short tonight. And so I want you to know that if it goes over, it was the fault of the one who gave the musical tonight, not the one who was preaching. So don't blame me, blame the singer and dancer. Well, Matt was the one who was dancing up here. Bill was just singing. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer together this evening. Our Father, we're thankful that we have the opportunity to study your word. and We're thankful that we have been able to come before you in song tonight. And God, as we just sang, glory, glory to the King. God, tonight may you receive all glory and all honor. God, may our hearts be directed to you. May you open your word to us that we may understand it. God, may we glorify you tonight. And may you change us through encountering your truth through your word by the Holy Spirit working in our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The book of Habakkuk tonight. Habakkuk asks some questions that helps us understand some issues. How do you make sense out of a world that seems to be falling apart? How do you live in faith when it seems like nothing around you makes sense? What do you do when you cannot see God's purposes in the world around you or in your life? What do you do when it seems like righteousness is dying in the world and unrighteousness is reigning and evil seems to be ruling the world? What do you do when everything in your life seems uncertain? What do you do when it seems like your country is falling apart from the inside out? Is God doing anything when it seems like everything is falling apart around us? These are the kinds of questions that Habakkuk raises for us. These are the kind of questions that Habakkuk helps us to wrestle with and see God's providence in the midst of these difficult, uncertain times. Habakkuk is a prophet who lived in the country of Judah in the time of great uncertainty and a time in which his country was going through turmoil and trouble itself. He wrote not too long after the time of Nahum, and so it was similar things that were going on in the country of Judah at that time. The people were living in idolatry, had turned away from God. Wickedness was rampant throughout the country. There was injustice rather than justice, unrighteousness rather than righteousness. Evil was reigning throughout the day. And just like Nahum had foretold, God had been dealing with the city of Nineveh and the people of Assyria and had been bringing them down. But at the same time, that threat was being taken away. Another was rising up in which a, a larger, more dangerous empire even was standing there threatening against the people of Judah. And so as we're reading the book of Habakkuk, we need to remember that this was a time of danger. It was a time of fear. It was a time of frustration. It was a time of evil. It was a time of turning away from God. It was a time of uncertainty in the life of the people there. And I don't think it's much of a stretch for us to say that we live in a similar time period. I don't think it's much of a stretch for us today to say that we live in a time of danger. We live in a time of fear. We live in a time of frustration. We live in a time of uncertainty. 
We live in a time of evil. We live in a time of turning away from God. Habakkuk helps us understand how do we live with certain faith when we live in a world of uncertainty? How do we have certain faith in the one who reigns over everything when it seems like everything around us is falling apart and everything around us is uncertain? Well, tonight we're going to read in Habakkuk and we're going to see that when we cannot see God's hand working amongst us, we can still know that God is at work. When we have difficulty seeing how God is working and moving and bringing about his purposes, we can know and we can trust that God is still accomplishing his good and perfect will. When the world around us seems uncertain, our lives seem uncertain, then we can know and we can still have a certain faith in the God who reigns over all things. So let's turn to the book of Habakkuk together, Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk takes the form of a dialogue between Habakkuk the prophet and God. And so as we begin in chapter 1 here, we're going to see Habakkuk presenting a complaint to God. So the dialogue that starts out is Habakkuk presenting his case that he does not see God working among his people. And so I want you to hear the word of the Lord tonight from Habakkuk. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, How long, O Lord, will I call for help? And will you not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored. Justice is never upheld. The wicked surround the righteous. Justice comes out perverted. And so Habakkuk presents his case against God. He's saying that God doesn't seem to be doing anything in this situation with Judah. And so we're going to see here that when we cannot see the hand of God, God is still at work. So first of all, Habakkuk presents the case and says that God seems distant. He's saying, in effect, how long will I call out to you, but you aren't listening? I want you to remember the situation that Judah is in at this time. Remember, Judah is under oppression from a foreign people. Judah is crumbling also from within. Their own sin, their own wickedness is bringing down their country. And Habakkuk is crying out to God saying, why is nothing being done about this? And this isn't the first time that Habakkuk has cried out to God to bring relief from this situation. Habakkuk is a prophet, and he's probably not a young man at this time. And so more than likely, this is a prayer that Habakkuk has been giving for a long time. That he has been calling out to God, asking God to bring relief to his people. For God to bring salvation among his people, bring revival among his people. But it seems like this whole time that he has been calling out, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, calling out to God, it seems like to Habakkuk that God is not listening. It seems as if God is sitting back, not hearing his prayer. You remember the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel? Elijah's on Mount Carmel, and the the prophets of, of, uh, of the wicked God Baal are crying out to God all morning long. The, the sacrifice has been laid on an altar, and Elijah has said, Call to your God and see if he will send fire down upon the altar to burn up the sacrifice. 
And so they call out all morning long for Baal to bring down fire upon the altar. They call out on and on, all through the morning till noontime. And Elijah mocks and says, well, maybe your God has turned aside. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's not paying attention. Call out louder to get his attention. Well, Habakkuk feels kind of like that, that he has been calling out, calling out, calling out. But God is not listening, or so he thinks. What do we do when we call out to God? What do we do when we lay out our prayer before God? And it seems like our prayer is not being answered. How many of you have prayed for, to God for something and not seen it turn out the way you wanted? How many of you prayed to God day after day or week after week, month after month, year after year, and you prayed for this particular situation or you prayed for that family member or you've prayed for your country, or you've prayed for your church, or whatever it is that you've prayed for, but yet you don't see what you're calling out to God for happening. So what do you do when you pour out your heart in pleading to God? You've wept over something, but it doesn't seem like anything is happening. This is Habakkuk. So Habakkuk is making his complaint to God. So next, Habakkuk says that God isn't doing anything about the evil. Not only is God not listening, God's not doing anything about this evil. Remember the time that Habakkuk lived in, this horrible time in which they're suffering, in which they're going through oppression, in which they have strife from without, strife from within. The rich are oppressing the poor. The people are dying for lack of food at times. Righteousness is being perverted. Leaders are oppressing and even killing their own people. And so Habakkuk cries out to God and says, Violence! How long are you going to let this go on? And Habakkuk isn't just asking when God is going to bring the suffering of his people to an end. He's, he's essentially almost accusing God, saying, You make me see iniquity before me. You, you cause me to look on this wickedness that is all around me. You, you could stop this at any point. You could turn this country around. You could, just by speaking, could change everything in our country. But yet, all I see is destruction. All I see is violence. There's strife. There's contention. Why aren't you doing anything about the wickedness that's around me? Can we not identify sometimes with the struggle that Habakkuk had? Do we not see destruction and violence, and strife, and contention around us in our world today? Do we not see the violence that is taking place? Think of Syria. Think of Pakistan. Christians being bombed and murdered. Think about all that's going on in the Middle East. Think about the murders that take place when a man goes into a Navy shipyard and kills 12 people. Think about the babies that are killed. Think about all the headlines that we see about the evil, the contention, the strife, everything that takes place in our world around us. A million babies being murdered every year in the name of choice. And can we not identify with Habakkuk and say violence, destruction, strife, contention? How long will this stuff continue on? What do we do when we see these kinds of things continue? 
and it seems like nothing is changing. Well, Habakkuk also sees godliness being overturned by wickedness. Habakkuk isn't talking here about some foreign country that's coming in and causing the wickedness. Habakkuk looks at his own country, and he sees the wickedness that's there. And he sees how justice is being perverted. And he sees the ungodliness that is taking place there. And rather than turning to God, they turn to idolatry. Rather than submitting to the law of God, they submit to the law of themselves to live however they want to please themselves. And Habakkuk says everything is coming out perverted. And through it all, the faithful believers there in Judah are becoming more and more of a minority And the unrighteous people are becoming more and more of the majority. Can we not identify with Habakkuk? Do we not look out into our world today and think everything is falling into decay more and more? Do we not look out into our world and see our world and we grieve because it seems like ungodliness is increasing? Evil is increasing in our world. Do we not see wickedness promoted and godliness being laid low. As as Bill has already pointed out, I'm a fairly young guy. I don't remember that story, that song that was from back in Bill's day, whenever that was. (laughs) Have to do something here. I'm a young man, 33 years old, and I can look back in my life over that time And I can see radical changes in our culture in just my 33 years. I see an increase in ungodliness, a turning away of righteousness. And so can we not look at the world in which we live in and say it seems like ungodliness is reigning and godliness is the minority. And it seems to be more and more the case every single day. But it's not just in our culture. Do we not look at the church around us, the church in America, and does it not seem like ungodliness is reigning even in our churches, in which churches are even promoting sin, promoting alternative lifestyles, being accepting of whatever might come along in our culture, whatever might be the sin of the day? Don't we see false teaching rising up? Don't we see the atonement being lessened where people are saying, that's not important. We don't need to talk about that bloody death on the cross. Do we not look out and see sometimes that it seems like the church in America is in decline? What do we do when it seems like everything is falling apart around us? What do we do when it seems like godliness is decreasing and ungodliness is increasing? What, does it see, what do we do when it seems like ungodliness rules in the world today? When our families struggle and suffer. When our worlds seem to fall apart. Where is God in the midst of this? Where is God? Is he still involved? Is he doing something as we see the world falling apart around us? As the church suffers and the church seems to decline at times. Is God still at work among us? 
This is what Habakkuk is asking. And the answer that we're going to see is absolutely, yes, our God is still working. Our God is still reigning. Though we look out and see destruction around us, though we look out and see these things taking place, our God still reigns on the throne. We just may not see the way his hand is working at the moment. I want you to pick up with me in verse 5. Though we cannot see his hand always, we can know that God is still working by his providence. Listen to how God answers now Habakkuk's complaint. Verse 5, Habakkuk, look among the nations. Observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days that you would not believe if you were told. God says, okay, I've heard your prayers, Habakkuk. I've heard your complaint. Now, I want you to understand this. I am doing something in your day. I am at work. I am bringing about my will. I am working among you, but you would not believe it if I told you what I'm going to do. So first of all here, we see in God's response that God was working by his providence. All this time that Habakkuk has been praying, probably for these years that he has been calling out to God, asking for God to do something. That whole time that Habakkuk has been praying, God has been at work by the hand of his providence. He was doing something. God was working behind the scenes, working about his good and perfect will. You know, when we talk about that word providence, that's a word that means that God is always working in every situation to bring about his good and perfect will. Our fifth and sixth grade students right now are doing a, an entire year-long study in Sunday school on the providence of God. And when they do that study, they learn that providence means that God's eye sees everything that takes place, and his hand is involved in working out in every single thing that takes place, his good and perfect will. And so through everything that Habakkuk was seeing, God still saw what was taking place, and God's hand was working to bring about his good and perfect will, working behind the scenes to bring everything about. But here's the thing. I think if I asked anybody in here, everybody would say, yes, I believe that God is sovereign and God is in control. I think that intellectually we would each and every one say that. But I think that there may be times where we believe that and we know that, but we sometimes struggle with the reality of seeing and believing that. When we look out at our world and we see things crumbling and we see things falling apart, Sometimes, I think if we're honest, we question and wonder what is happening. Is God still at work? Is God still bringing about his good and perfect will? I can remember being about 23 years old. I had just graduated from college. And when I graduated from college, I was, I was praying about what I needed to do at that time. And I felt a very strong leading, strong conviction from the Lord that what I needed to do was needed to move back to Somerset. Uh, my grandfather was about 90 years old at the time, and he was in declining health. And I felt like God was leading me to come back to live with my grandfather to help care for him. And so I remember moving, moving in with my grandfather, and that summer staying with him, and, and I started seminary that falls, driving back and forth to Louisville. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, God, you, you have called me 
to this task. But I have, I have two college degrees, and I don't have a job now, and I'm staying and caring for my grandfather. What is going on in the midst of this? What are you doing in my life? This is not what I had planned for my life. So this went on for a few months. And then out of the blue one day, uh, a pastor friend of mine gave me a call. Uh, this was the pastor of First Baptist at the time. and called and asked if I would be interested in a job. And, and so we talked, and, and it worked out that God provided that I would be able to go on staff, and some of you all have been stuck with me ever since then. Well, I don't know if that's an amen that you're stuck with me or you're glad I'm here. I'll take it as glad I'm here. Now, do do you know how many details were behind that phone call that I received asking if I would be interested in going on staff at the church? Do you know all the things that God had to work out for that to happen, bringing the right people into the church at the right time, person who was doing that job feeling like they needed to step out because of a baby. All these different things that had taken place that God was working behind the scenes in what I could not see at the time to bring about his good and perfect will in my life, even though I had no idea and could not see that he'd been working behind everything. You see, there is never a time that God's hand is not at work. Though we look out and see things crumbling, though we look out and see things falling apart, though we look at our lives and it seems uncertain, though our world seems uncertain, though we do not understand what God is doing, there is never a time in our lives, in our world, in which God's hand is not working behind the scenes to bring about everything that he desires as he reigns on his throne. He reigns always. There is never a time in which he is not working out his good and perfect will. That's what he says here to Habakkuk. I have been working, you just didn't know it. But second, we look here about God's providence as he's explaining this. Sometimes God's providence is very mysterious. I want you to pick up and read with me verse 6. God's speaking, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people, who march through the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the, in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture Then they will sweep through like the wind, and they will pass on. God tells Habakkuk here that he is at work. But this isn't the kind of work that Habakkuk was expecting that God would be doing. God says that he is going to be raising up this people called the Chaldeans. God has said in Nahum that he is going to bring low the Assyrian Empire, but now we have God telling Habakkuk not too long after that, saying, I'm going to raise up another empire that's going to stand against you. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, a group of people who eventually became the most powerful empire in that region, that none rivaled them. Eventually, this would be the empire that would invade Jerusalem, tear down the temple, 
destroy the city, and kill people who are there and lead off those who survived into captivity. Who was raising up these Chaldeans? God was. God was the one who was doing this. All this time that Habakkuk had been praying for the salvation of his people. All this time that Habakkuk had been calling out to the Lord to end the violence, end the strife. And now God answers and says, I have been working. But my work is I'm going to raise up these people who are going to come against Judah. And they are going to come. And they are going to bring war. And they are going to bring decimation against Judah. Aren't there times that God's providence seems very mysterious? You know, if you and I were planning things out, I can guarantee that we would not plan this way. Why wasn't Judah turning back to God? Why was God raising up the Chaldeans against his people? Why would he use such a sinful people to fight against his own? There are times in our lives where God's providence seems very mysterious. Where we look at our lives and we do not understand what is taking place. And we don't understand the reasons that things are happening. Yes, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is sovereign and God is in control. We know that God is working out his good and perfect will. But there are times that we will look at this world and we won't understand the providence of God. There are times that we will look at our lives and we can't see exactly what God is doing in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of things seeming to be so uncertain or seeming to fall apart in our lives that we may not be able to see what God is doing at that time. But Habakkuk teaches us here, God speaking here shows us that God's providence is mysterious. And although it is mysterious, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that even though we do not understand it at times, we do know that God is working. I can promise you this, church, that no matter what comes in our country or in our world, in our church, or in your life, you can know that God is working and God is bringing about his plan his perfect will. Now, sometimes he may use things that you do not expect. And there may be times that he uses things that you would not have chosen. And there may be times that he brings difficult, hard times into your life. And even though God's providence may be mysterious and difficult for you to understand, you can know that God is still at work. And finally, God tells Habakkuk, and we can see here that God's providence is always right. At the end of verse 11 there, God says, speaking of the Chaldeans, he said, they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. God is not going to allow this heathen nation to come and do all this to Judah and not deal with their sin. God worked by a mysterious providence, but God would deal with the sin of the Chaldean people. 
just like God would deal with the sin of his people, Judah. You see, in everything that God does, his hand is always right. His hand is always working out his good and perfect will. And there is never a time in which God's providence in your life is wrong. He is always working for his purposes. He is always bringing about his good and perfect will, even though that may seem strange and mysterious to you. God's work is always right. Not too long after the end of World War II, a, a British preacher by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones preached a series of sermons on this, on this book. And as he dealt with this, he, he summarized it by, by four key things. And I think these are things that we need to get and understand. First of all, history is under divine control. That we look out and see that things seem to be out of control, unrighteousness reigns, ungodliness is rampant, strife, contention is all around us. There is nothing that happens in this world that is outside of God's sovereign control. All of history, even the history that you and I are living in right now, falls under God's divine control. Second of all, history follows a divine plan. Things do not just happen. Events are not just accidental in our world today, but everything that happens follows the definite plan of our God who reigns upon his throne. He is bringing about his good purpose in all of it. Third, history follows a divine timetable. God works out his good and perfect will in his good and perfect time. And I can promise you that there are a lot of times that his timing is not what your timing would be. But God's timing is always perfect as he brings about his will for your life, for this church, for his grand plan here in our world today. His time is always perfect. And finally, history is bound up with the divine kingdom. God's work is not willy-nilly. God's work in this world is not just to bring about some nebulous plan. God's work in this world is always to bring himself glory by raising up a people who will be for his glory for all of eternity, all of time. And everything that happens from creation to the time when Christ returns is all about God bringing himself glory as he raises up a people who will worship him around the throne for all of time. God's purposes are always kingdom-oriented. We may not be able to see how those purposes fit together, We may not be able to see how all the puzzle pieces of our time right now fit into God's cosmic eternal plan, but we can be sure that they do for his kingdom purposes. God is working out his plan. We live in an uncertain time. We live in an uncertain world. We have uncertain lives at times. But in the midst of this uncertainty, we can have a faith a certain faith in a certain God who reigns over it all and know that he is always in control and all of history works toward his plan. In 1939, just days before World War II started, a preacher by the name of Donald Barnhouse, an American preacher, was traveling through Europe. And as he was traveling through Europe, everywhere that he went, he saw signs that war was coming. He saw soldiers gathering together. He saw fear everywhere that he was. 
as he got to the coast of France and was boarding a steamer to go across the English Channel over to England. He gathered together with some others who were listening to the radio, and he, he heard how Hitler had invaded Poland. That was a Thursday night. The Prime Minister of England had said that Hitler had until Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, and if he had not withdrawn from Poland, England would declare war on Germany. And they knew what that would involve. For all of Friday and all of Saturday, Donald Barnhouse traveled north heading to Belfast, Ireland, where he was scheduled to preach on Sunday. And everywhere he went, he saw the signs that war was coming. As he traveled along the train, he would see troop trains gathering, troops on the trains heading to their posts and where they were going to be. He saw thousands of children who were being loaded onto trains, taken off somewhere that they would be safe out of London. He saw men and women afraid, knowing that the inevitable was just around the corner. When he arrived at, at Ireland, he arrived at night and everything was pitch black. Nobody had lights on because they were afraid that the bombing would start. And if they had their lights on, it would give a place where the planes could send a bomb down. And so everybody had their lights off. So Donald Barnhouse arrived at the church late at night. And as he got there and was talking to some of the elders of the church, one of them said, I hope that you will have a good sermon tomorrow. It may well be the last that some of these men hear. And so he spent that night working through, wrestling with how is he going to speak to the people in this dark, uncertain, ungodly time. So the next morning he, he went into the church, gathering with them their time of worship. He figured that there would be not many people there, but he looked out and there was everybody had gathered, knowing that this was such a tumultuous, dangerous time. They had come to hear what the Lord might have to say through his word. As it got just before the time that he would get up and preach, one of the elders of the church slipped him a note that said, no reply from Hitler, the prime minister has declared war. So Barnhouse got up at that time to preach, looking out at men who he knew were getting ready to leave for war that day and would probably never be coming back. And so he chose this text that morning the text in which Jesus says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but do not de be troubled. And so Barnhouse talked about his travels through Europe over the past couple days and how he had seen everything gearing up for war. Now he saw these soldiers gathering together, and he saw how these children were weeping in the streets at the train station as they were saying goodbye to their parents. And as he went over horror after horror, he would say, do not be troubled. When you hear the bell of war tolling, that war has come to our town, do not be troubled. Thousands of children are going to be torn from their mothers, and they will cry out not being able to see their families. Do not be troubled. Monstrous grief after monstrous grief is going to come upon you. But Christ says, do not be troubled. And so he said to the church, these are words either of a madman or they are words of God. How is it, God, that unless Jesus is God, 
How is it that we can say and see all these horrible things, have all these men going off to war, getting ready to die, and how can you say to us, do not be troubled? The only way that Jesus can say, in the face of all this that you see, do not be troubled, is if he is the one who is Lord over those times. The only way that it can be that our God would say to me and you right now, do not be troubled, is if it is the case that he is the one who is reigning over our time right now and is bringing about his will right now and is working out his will in your life so you can know the truth. Do not be troubled because he is at work bringing about his good and perfect will in our life, in our country, in our church, in everything in this world. Do not be afraid. Be comforted in knowing that he is in control because he reigns. This is the message of Habakkuk to us. You look out and you see uncertainty in the world. You look in your own life and you see uncertainty, not knowing what you're facing. And the message of Habakkuk is that you may have a certain faith in our God in an uncertain time because our God reigns. So church, I tell you, that no matter what the uncertainty is that you face, or that our world faces right now, you may have a certain faith in a God who reigns over everything. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are thankful that we do have, we do have certainty in uncertain times. We have certainty in uncertain moments in our lives because we know the God who reigns over it all. There is nothing that happens in our lives or in this world that is by accident, by chance, but God, you reign over it all. God, help us to see that truth. And when we struggle, when we doubt, when we face uncertainty, God, grant us the certain faith that you do reign. And so that we can know the truth of what Christ said, do not be troubled because you are God in control. We pray this in Christ's name.